This podcast is brought to you by FormKeep. Form endpoints for designers and developers. No iframes, JavaScript embeds, or CSS overrides. Try out our sandbox mode before you buy at formkeep.com. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots is Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben Orenstein, and I'm here today with Chris Toomey. Hey, Chris. Hey, Ben. How's it going? It's going well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. We were thinking that we would start off by telling how you came to work at ThoughtBot. Came to work at ThoughtBot. Yeah. Yes. Which actually is an intersection of our lives. It is indeed. And Vim. And Vim. So many good things. Yeah. Yeah. So my previous career, uh, my previous life was a mechanical engineer. Uh, I was working at a company as a design engineer. I'd gone to school for engineering. Uh, Somewhere along the way, I figured out, though, that that wasn't quite the right thing for me. Uh, So I'd been interested in development and had been working on it on the side for a long time. I had eventually found my way to Rails and a few other things, but still didn't really know what made sense after that. Um, So I started looking at meetups, uh, and I actually saw that there was a Vim meetup, and I was particularly excited about that because it was kind of a niche topic of mine. So I came to the Vim meetup, and it was hosted by you and Mike Burns. Uh, I think I came to the second one. I missed the first one for some reason. Uh, but when I got there, uh, it was a relatively small audience, and uh, I think we were doing lightning talks that night. Mm. And I was very purposeful coming to this meetup. I was like, I, I want to, I have to introduce myself to people. I have to get to know people. Uh, and lightning talks seemed like the perfect opportunity to do that. So I had prepared actually two independent talks just to be ready for anything. Uh, really? You got two talks ready? I did, yeah. Wow. Well, I figured why not. I'd even written blog posts to go with them. I was very prepared. And it turns out I was the only one that was uh, prepared. I think you and Mike both gave a talk that night. But in between the two talks, you opened it up for lightning talks. And I just kind of looked around and nobody else was raising their hand. I was like, okay, I'll go. Mm-hmm. I uh, gave my little talk about some particular topic. It's still on my blog somewhere. It's one of like the five posts on my blog, but uh, it's there. Uh, and then you guys continued on. I think Mike gave the second talk. And then afterwards, you're like, all right, we're going to reopen for lightning talks. And again, nobody really raised their hand. I was like, well, I guess I'll go again. I've, I have another one. Um, and so it was this kind of rare opportunity where with admittedly some effort to prepare, I was able to stand out pretty significantly in that in that audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember I introduced myself to you, introduced myself to Mike, uh, just tried to make sure I got to talk to people. And I'd always considered networking kind of a dirty word, something that I didn't really want to do. But uh, looking back on it, that was very much networking that I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it worked out very well. Mike invited me to come back to the next one and actually speak at that, uh, give a formal talk. And then from there, kind of cascaded into co-organizing the Vim meetup uh, as Mike went to Stockholm and you were distracted uh, by other things in life. Uh-huh. Other uh, shiny things. Yeah, other shiny things, uh, which was a great, again, opportunity for me. I got to kind of step in and uh, co-manage this thing that was ThoughtBot branded. Uh, and eventually, through a number of conversations with you and Mike, I uh, got myself into the interview process here and eventually found myself working as a developer, uh, and again, coming from a background of never having done development before, which was pretty exciting. Yeah, it's interesting. I often give people the advice that they should be going to meetups and ideally speaking at them, even like short short lightning talks. And your story is one of the things that like I have in my mind when I'm telling people this, because it put you in a, a different place yeah. compared to the other attendees. And I remember talking to Mike after one of the meetups where I was like, we should also hire that guy, by the way, because <laughs> you seem smart and you seem passionate about what you were doing. And it was just... 
it was a great way for you to have a sort of informal non-interview interview yeah where it was like okay now you have two advocates basically inside the company that are interested in you know knowing more about you and possibly working with you yeah absolutely and additionally for me it worked out that uh I didn't realize at the time that that was a, a partial interview that I was on. I was very much viewing it as I just want to get out there and actually meet some people because I'd been essentially completely on my own through all of my learning up to that point. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to talk to people and get a sense of like, am I crazy for this technology or really just have people to talk to about anything? Uh, and again, I remember a particular conversation with you and Mike. Uh, we went out to lunch one afternoon. And I was talking about how I figured I needed to go back to school and, and get that degree because obviously you got to have a degree in whatever you're going to do. Right. And you were just like, well, I, I don't have a degree in computer science. And Mike was like, no, neither do I. In fact, a lot of people at ThoughtBot don't. And that was kind of a game changer for me because coming from the world of engineering, you, you can't get in the door without a degree. It's just not even a question. Uh, versus at ThoughtBot, I was able to demonstrate that I could do the work. I was able to demonstrate you know, via the, the meetup and everything like that that... I could handle myself in various situations, and that was more than enough, uh, which was pretty awesome because I'm glad I didn't have to go spend another four years at a college. I'd done my college time. It was great, but yeah. I had done that. So, Well, I, I like this general approach of deciding you're interested in an area and then trying to surround yourself with people that are doing that thing. Like you did at that point, it sounds like when you went to the Vim meetup, you didn't have this plan of like, I will impress these people with my Vim knowledge and then you know, try to work at the people hosting this meetup. You just wanted to talk to other programmers and other Vim people and all that. Yeah. Uh, but that happened to turn itself into a sort of a career change for you. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, ThoughtBot did kind of stand out at that point, um, you know, reading the, the blog and listening to the podcast. Hey, this is a weird place. Uh, they all, everything that ThoughtBot was doing made the most sense to me. Mm -hmm. uh, and there were plenty of other companies that would have been interesting. But the fact that ThoughtBot was hosting a Vim meetup it was kind of all of these factors coming together, and it was just a chance, like you said, to get to talk to people about these things that I haven't really gotten to talk to people about. Mm -hmm. But I, I like that that sort of meta approach of like whatever you're into, like try to go find some other people that are into it too, because it's hard to know where that's going to end up, like how how beneficial that might be for you eventually. So just to take that as a general blueprint for whatever you're you're interested in. Yeah, looking back, I'm really happy with uh, how I how I approached it. I I can say it was not as purposeful or as clear at the time, but looking back, I'm like, oh yeah, that was that was a pretty good sequence. Prepping of the talks, yeah, prepping yeah. the talks was especially good. Like mm -hmm. that's another thing that we tell people all the time is like try to stand out a little bit. And it took some work, but not that much work. I mean, a lightning, a lightning talk is not a million hours mm -hmm. of, of work, and yet just because you had put in that amount, it made you stand out a pretty crazy amount because you were like, I I can go twice, no big deal. Yeah. Yeah, and frankly, the idea of giving a formal talk anywhere about any topic would have been completely daunting. But a lightning talk, five minutes on something, I probably know enough about something, about one thing that I feel comfortable standing in front of a room and talking to that group about it. And like I might teach someone something. Mm -hmm. um, so the kind of scaled down approach was perfect for, for me in that sense. Mm -hmm. So the Vim Meetup is still a thing. You're running it now. <laughs> the Vim Meetup, uh, two, a little over two years later, is still a thing. Mm -hmm. It is. Uh, we actually just had a uh, meeting last Wednesday, uh, which was great. We had an Emacs user in to talk about that, a former Vim user who has transitioned to Emacs. Mm -hmm. um, I've been, unfortunately, a little bit behind on planning them, but I'm hoping to get back into it a little more seriously this year. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's great in a number of ways, and if nothing else, just getting to provide that opportunity. Uh, I don't know why everyone else is there, but I want to make sure I don't take away the fact that there's a Vim meetup in Boston. So mm. I feel very much like I have to keep it going. And I also really enjoy it. Every time I'm there, I get to talk to interesting people and learn a little bit more about this tool that I still use every single day. Uh, a lot of my time goes into that tool, so happy to spend some time thinking about it. Yeah. 
it was a cool experience uh, for me as starting it where we got to meet cool people and have some interesting times and get a thought botter out of it, like hire somebody out of it and then turn it over to other people. Yeah. Uh, maybe someday I will find someone to pass it on to, but for now I'm still happy to manage it. Yeah. Uh, mostly speakers. If you're in the Boston area and you like Vim, look me up on the internet and say you'll speak about something because that'll be great. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So after one of the things you've done at ThoughtBot that I think is kind of interesting is you were a teacher for our Metis program. Yes, which I was. we should explain what that is. Yes, so Metis was our boot camp that we uh, produced in conjunction with Kaplan. Mm-hmm. Uh, since they've kind of restructured and rebranded, and uh, now it's actually referred to as Dev Boot Camp, so there was kind of a merging of different groups when they bought uh, Dev Boot Camp. <laughs> when they bought Dev Boot Camp, Metis is still alive as the data science program. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of the Rails work has gone under the name of Dev Boot Camp now. Um, but Metis was ThoughtBot. And we're not involved on the Rails side anymore. Uh, we are not, correct. Yeah. yeah. But Metis now, or was at the time, ThoughtBot putting together a curriculum. Uh, what do we think it means to go from zero to being a junior Rails developer in 12 weeks? Uh, so we spent, uh, I believe it was six months building the curriculum for that. Uh, two of uh, our colleagues here at ThoughtBot here in Boston did that. Uh, and then we presented the course a few times here in Boston as well as uh, in New York. And I got to take part in the final Boston Rails Metis cohort, uh, which was a great experience. I got to work with Gabe, uh, who was one of the teachers, had been teaching the previous cohort. So he had the whole context, had gone through the curriculum, uh, and I got to kind of join in and, and work with him and get to spend that time with uh, a number of great individuals uh, and help them learn the Rails uh, mm-hmm. So it was a lot of fun. It was very, very different from consulting. Yeah. Um, although depending on the client, I've had clients in the past where a lot of my time was more on the mentoring, teaching, guiding, reviewing aspect than I'm building new features every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I personally have taken to that reasonably well. I enjoyed that in the past, which I think is why uh, I ended up in the the Metis position there. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting actually how often that client uh, relationships end up that way where it's not so much that you're cranking out a lot of code as sort of trying to be a teacher and mentor and, and sort of guiding things. Right. And it's, it's sometimes difficult for me because I, uh, I've certainly been in situations where clients are trying to measure a little more directly. There's a particular type of manager out there in the world who uh, will just legitimately count up how many cards you've gone through that week. Mm. Uh, and so there's that pressure that exists. But I think we as a company really strongly represent that is not an ideal. That's not how you should work. Um, mm. And so it's good when I get to a company and they they really respect that and say, like, your job is to help guide the rest of this Mm -hmm. uh, and to move us in that direction. Uh, And like I said, I've very much enjoyed those times, especially getting to see people kind of transition over the course of a few months and seeing the change in the type of code that they work and the way that they think about problems uh, and their own comfort with the work that they're doing. Yeah. That's awesome. I had a little bit, little bit of that when I was teaching at the touring school. Like yep. seeing people improve and write better code and like code that you know they would have had like written in a worse way previously is so gratifying. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a nice way to, to use experienced people is like in kind of a mentorship type of or like a high level guidance kind of role because there's so much wisdom that you accumulate over time that can mm-hmm. save people a lot of time. Right. Which is why like, I'm, I'm frequently trying to ask more experienced people just like for here's roughly what I'm thinking of doing and roughly how I'm going to do it. And a lot of the times, the suggestions that come out of that drastically change the approach I'm going to take. Right. And probably, I think, hopefully, have saved me a lot of time. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a nice, a nice way to use us, I suppose. I think so. And I think there's, there's just a different nature of uh, like reading books and going through tutorials will get you to a certain point. 
Uh, but there's a certain type of learning that only comes about when you try something and you've got that very particular learning point of, oh, well, maybe you should rename this, maybe you should extract this, and especially those softer bits of the work as a developer. Uh, I think are presented so much better in a mentoring kind of conversation way than in a here is a fixed curriculum that you're going to read. Hmm. Um, and Metis very much represented that where the first seven weeks were more formal curriculum where we were presenting an idea and then helping the students to basically re-implement what we had just demonstrated. Uh, but the last five weeks were all project-based. Right. So myself and Gabe uh, were basically there to support the students in that, but it was very much in that kind of mentoring, guiding, reviewing pull requests way. Um, and that's uh, there was something that was kind of wonderful about it where I would just kind of come to work and just got to be there. And just being there was the thing that I had to do, which is kind of awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the first seven weeks were actually kind of hectic and intense where I had to basically stay one step ahead in the curriculum. I certainly knew the material, but to have it prepared in a way that I could present it fluidly to a group and not have a bunch of stopping points or bugs that I needed to fix. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. That was one of the things I enjoyed about my Turing experience was like being on the help desk. Mm. It was like just... I'm I'm available for the next two hours if you want to come by and ask questions. And in a way, it's really exhausting because it's just it's by definition pretty much like insane context yeah. switching the whole yep. time. But I also really kind of enjoy hopping into random things like that. Like, okay, this method doesn't work. I don't know why. Like, okay, well, let's look at it. Yeah. And there's a certain kind of tired that comes from that that's like I get to the end of the day and I'm like, I am wiped, but I'm happy about that. Yeah. So it's no secret that we're like big fans of sustainable pace here at ThoughtBot. And we want to talk about this a little bit more later. But um, like an eight-hour day is an eight-hour day. And that's mm-hmm. like you go home kind of thing. And when I was at touring, like I, I had a couple like 10 or 12-hour days. And I was like, right. I'm still psyched about this. Like I was still like fire. And I know that's not a thing I could do on the regular. Yeah. Uh, but at the time, it was like this is like the energy from everyone that was there was yep. like just kind of keeping me up and high and, and working. Yeah. I mean, it's the sort of thing that you can do for a short period. And you can actually like in that time, I think you probably gave great help to all of those students but you were probably burning yourself out over it yeah. and i think at this point you would say like worth it because i was there for a month and i knew that and i was kind of adventuring in life and that's what exactly. made sense yeah um, i was yeah. after the experience i wanted like most yeah. you know experience per hour or right. per day kind of thing yes at that, that point of view yeah at that point in time uh so you are now appropriately i suppose uh you're still kind of in that teaching role yeah you've been uh, you're now with us on upcase i am yes It's a very nice transition that I've been able to make. Uh, It's been interesting, my time here at ThoughtBot. uh, From the outside, I always thought ThoughtBot did one thing, which is work with small startups and build an MVP of a product and get that out the door. Mm -hmm. Um, We certainly do a lot of that, but over my time here, I've done that. I've done staff augmentation where I'm just kind of there to help. I've done working within larger organizations. I've done teaching, uh, and now I've rotated onto an internal product, which is... Uh, sort of like a client, but you know, also very different um, and mm-hmm. very interesting. Um, I think I've been on it for two and a half months, something like that now, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's been great. Upcase is a, a an awesome project to work on. Uh, it really kind of represents the ideals that Thoughtbot stands for in a in an impressive way. Mm. Sustainable pace and MVP and uh, kind of all of those things that we talk about and test driven development. Uh, by far the best test suite I've ever worked with. Mm. Uh, I sincerely have the most faith in any feature that I put out there, uh, that if something were wrong, the test would catch it. And there are you know, certainly outliers and new tests that we need to write, but mm-hmm. uh, the tests run fast, they rarely fail for the wrong reason, and they give me confidence. And that's great to have. It's interesting to hear you say that because the code base you're talking about is seven years old yes uh it's been it's literally been like four different applications yep through its lifetime this is kind of like i think an amazing example of like 
don't rewrite something. Keep just keep sort of modifying it for your needs. Yes, we absolutely. followed that really strongly in this app. So this app originally was for ordering lunch for people <laughs> that were taking workshops at Thoughtbot in person. Right. Seven years ago. Yes, and that again speaks to. Uh, kind of the approach that we take to things, the fact that we've been able to do that and gradual refactorings over time to make sure that the code base represents the business that we have at this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, And certainly there are still, even now in my short time on the project, we've removed some features, we've added some features, we've changed how we think about certain aspects of it. Uh, And there are little remnants of that where I can see like, why does this object have that relationship? Mm -hmm. Oh, probably because of history, but they're small. And they actually stand out because of their uniqueness. The rest of the code base maps really well to the thing that is upcase.com now, which mm-hmm. is a very, very different product than let's order lunches for people that happen to be in the office. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, it, it, if nothing else, it gives me something to point to and say, yes, you absolutely can gradually refactor and move your application over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really the only constant is change. And as long as you're just staying in line with that and regularly rethinking what is it that you're doing with this application, that really can be done. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it's it's been great to see that and to feel that and to see what it's like to be in a code base that old. Yeah, as the the product owner, I guess it's it's nice to it's nice that we're in a good place with that, considering that's it's been an app that's gone through some it's seen some stuff, you know. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's got that thousand yard stare occasionally. Yeah, and for me, I can I can clearly remember times where it was like a Friday and Chad was saying, "Yeah, you know what? I I think I'm going to tackle a pretty big refactor on this aspect of the upcase or even back when learn code base." Yep. Uh, and I remember thinking, I'm like, oh, okay, that's that's good. And it was a distant thing for me at that point. But looking back, I'm very grateful to mm-hmm. Chad and you and Joe and everyone that's that's done that, that's taken on those refactors and said, I'm going to leave this code a little bit better. I'm going to make sure it best maps to the domain that we have now. Um, because the code base that I inherited after seven years and four different products or however many you want to count it is a pleasure to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, so thanks yeah Yeah. sure and we sort of keep cleaning it yeah that's the trick we never sort of like okay now we need to go back and clean it it's kind of like let's just kind of always be keeping it tidy yeah and i think the the boy scout rule is really uh the way on that where it's everything that we're going in uh joe uh joe ferris our cto really embodies this well which is the the idea of make a change easy and then make the change Mm -hmm. Uh, and i've noticed you doing this as well well there will be a few small pull requests that come in to alter the fundamental structure, the foundation of the app, and then very little pull requests at the end that layers on your new feature. Right. And it makes everything that much easier to understand, especially as someone newer to the code base. Mm-hmm. Each of those pull requests was small enough and focused enough and well-defined in the, in the notes uh, that I could look at it and say, yeah, this does what that says. Oh, that might be a problem. Fix that up. But uh, that approach, that gradual, and with everything that you do, making sure it's as good as it can be, a little bit cleaner, all of that has really worked well. Yeah, I love that. I love that technique of refactor first in a separate pull yep. kind of thing. It's like, okay, we know we want to add this widget feature over here, but currently this thing doesn't take a widget, so let's make it re- refactor this first to take something, uh, whatever that may be later. Who knows? Yep. And get and put a you know tiny pull request that anyone can review. That's very easy. Where it's just like refactor this thing to take a widget. You're like, oh yeah, that, that seems fine. Great, thumbs right. up. And then the next thing we do, okay, now we're going to have it do the actual add right. the actual functionality. Yep. And I love that because I've actually had times where I've done the refactoring and then not actually done the next thing. Mm. Where it's like, okay, we refactored this. Okay, we got it merged. That's great. You know what? Let's actually focus on this other thing for a little while. And we never come back to the other thing. But it's okay. Yeah. Like we picked up a win. The code is better than it was because of that preparatory refactoring. And it didn't get, all get sort of mashed together in a single branch and kind of get just lost. Yep. 
absolutely and it's a courtesy to your coworkers to give them small pull requests i think and to yourself as well like if you want good feedback right. having a giant pull request is just detrimental to that you're never going to get great feedback on a huge pull yeah so making them little that so people don't just have their eyes glaze over is yep it's a win-win both directions so you've been um playing with react recently I have a little bit. Mostly I've been reading. I've been trying to find time on Fridays to actually do some doing, mm -hmm. uh, but time on Fridays goes incredibly quickly. Fridays are our investment time where we typically uh, will have discussions and we'll work on open source and uh, work on new technologies. But unfortunately, even though we have the whole day, they seem to just kind of fly by. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a certain amount of just catching up on the week, I think, that happens in the discussions and uh, all of that. But yeah, React's been uh, my recent kind of thing to expand my mind uh, and it's been fun. I've worked with a number of different JavaScript frameworks over the years and to me React represents an interesting kind of push in the right direction mm -hmm. away from imperative, let's mutate this DOM, let's change the inner text of this, let's add a list item, those kind of things through to the declarative, this is what I want my UI to look like at any given point in time. Yep. Um, and I've experienced that as I like worked with just the DOM directly and then onto jQuery and then Ember and Angular, I think represent a really good move further in that direction. Uh, but React really seems to take it to uh, an interesting extreme, at least extreme relative to the other things that are out there. Mm -hmm. um, and I've really been enjoying that and kind of thinking about how to produce a user interface in that way. I love when a technology takes what uh, granted they're probably reusing the idea from some paper in 1979 or something uh, not even it's just game mechanics most <laughs> games are written in this way where yep. you're recomputing the frame every single time and so they're like oh i wonder if we could do that yeah yes we can throw in a well, virtual dom awesome. and there we go yeah yeah so you know no ideas are really new no. but i love when someone just sort of takes a new look at something and says what if we kind of fundamentally reimagined roughly how we're going to do this thing right as opposed to like how do we make ember 10 percent better or how do we like do angular but a little bit differently it's kind yep. of like well what if we threw out roughly everything and started with a totally different approach and there was a nice simplification that we could have there yep absolutely and uh, an interesting aspect about react is the fact that they really have again it's it's nothing really new but it's distinct enough from what exists that there are some pretty visceral reactions against it when people first hear about it mm -hmm. uh, things like your template if you want to call them that, are right there inside of your, it's not a class file, but a view file. It's all kind of there together. And there's mm -hmm. even uh, recommendations to put your styles in there. And the styles are managed in JavaScript and they're done as inline styles. And there are things that look like on-click handlers. Mm -hmm. And I very much remember my first reaction to it was like, that is awful. That's the worst thing. Mm -hmm. um, but they're fundamentally different from what they look like. Like inline styles, bad. Except maybe they're interesting in this case. And having the JSX, which is the template syntax in line, is interesting when you're deciding how to split up your concerns. And that's one of the things that they're really thinking about with React is uh, the separation of concerns and whether we might have gotten it wrong and in fact separated technologies. Um, but instead, the thing that you should be separating is a component. And they're really pushing that whole component idea forward as well, mm -hmm. um, which I think is interesting. Breaking down an app into components just kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I enjoy that a good amount. So. If someone uh, has been intrigued by this description, where would you point them? The React uh, overall docs on Facebook, I think it's like facebook.github.com, their landing page, and then React. Their intro tutorial is pretty good. Um, there's a couple of videos out there. Uh, Pete Hunt, particularly, um, who was formerly with the Facebook and Instagram team when React was first going out and has now gone off and kind of done his own things. Uh, he has a few conference talks that talk at a very high level about what React is and why it's interesting. And those are the things that really caught my attention the most. 
So those are pretty good. Uh, and if you're an Upcase subscriber, keep your eyes out for maybe something interesting on that front. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's uh, definitely something to play around with. And to uh, one of the things they, they say, uh, Pete Hunt particularly, is just give it five minutes. It looks bad, we know. But maybe there's something interesting here. And my personal experience thus far has been there definitely is interesting things within it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, ignore the, the knee-jerk reaction. Yes, and it will chance. be a knee-jerk reaction because it does kind of go against a lot of the accepted norms. Hmm. But. You want to talk about Mr. Money Mustache? Mr. Money Mustache, sure. Uh, there was an interesting thing that I, I, I thought I was weird in reading his stuff. And then he posted uh, something where like 85% of his audience is computer science uh, or software developers. Uh-huh. So it's like, oh, actually, probably a lot of people listening to this might have heard of him as well. But yeah. Uh, yeah, he's an interesting voice on the Internet talking about money and uh, how people interact with money, and particularly financial independence and early retirement. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and his wife retired very early and uh, have kind of just chilled since then. Mm-hmm. To varying degrees so it's basically um, we're like if we cut our spending in ways that we don't actually think makes us less happy mm-hmm. uh we can save about 60 something percent of our income and retire and holy crap it looks like eight or nine years yeah and they did that yep which and that's basically his that's sort of his, his platform is uh, i would if i were to summarize it's kind of like you're actually wasting a lot of money in ways that don't actually make you happy and so what looks like extreme frugality is in fact just sort of efficiency and there are a lot of things you can cut without causing yourself undue sadness. Right. And awesome. He sort of preaches like, you know, it makes you tougher in good ways that you'll appreciate and you yeah. will appreciate your life more and things like that. Yeah. If nothing else, I, th- I think that portion of, of his message is the most interesting to me. The lens of you can view it as frugality and giving things up. But if you spin it a little bit. Uh, like, what are we going to do today? Well, we could spend a lot of money and go to an amusement park or we could go for a hike. Mm-hmm. The hike is free and it gives us health mm-hmm. and uh, it's really enjoyable, actually. And it gets us outdoors and it's got all of these wonderful aspects. And again, it's free. So the idea of needing to cut all these things out, like there's actually pretty direct ways to do it. Uh, right. And like not going to restaurants, learning to cook is actually really kind of enjoyable for a lot of people. Uh, and if you haven't looked into that, like there's there's some uh, gold in them there, hills. So. Yeah, I totally agree. I, and I think those are those are perfect examples. Like it's 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 not that you're suffering. You're sort of a- allocating your time in a slightly different way and your resources in a slightly different way. And it's like the the, health, the hike makes you healthier. You would probably be happier at the end of the hike than, you know, being trolled around by a whatever. I mean, roller coasters are great, but yes, yes. overall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I feel like when, when I see interviews with him on the, a lot of the time, they say like, you know, how... So he, his family, inc- like spending is somewhere around like 30 grand a year or something yep. like that. And people go, you know, wasn't it incredibly hard to like maintain that level of spending? And he's like, I don't know. We have a like pretty good life. Like we yeah. got a house over here and like we ride our bikes around and we go on hikes. And the, th- the takeaway for me is like, I'm not quite as hardcore mm-hmm. as he is, but the rough message of like, there's a lot of ways where you can get, have a really great life without spending quite as much money. Yep. Uh, and if you do that, then you will have more freedom. Um, maybe you can retire early. Maybe you just have a, a, a balance there that gives you a, a, a mental safety net, makes you less stressed, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, that to me is the most interesting takeaway. Yeah, absolutely. Just pay attention to where you are doing the thing that everyone else is doing because um, our society sort of pushes you towards a like spend, spend, spend yes. all the time. Buy a brand new car. You should. You, you deserve a new car. Right. And it's like, well, do you, do you need the new car? Yeah, he, he writes in some extreme terms about things like that. Yeah. Uh, but I think, again, the message is interesting. And if nothing else, it's, it's a different point of view, uh, vaguely similar to React, where it's like, hey, you know what? Maybe re-examine some of these best practices that you've seen. Mm-hmm. Best practices like you deserve a new car. 
sure, you could have a new car, but that's a lot of money. And especially the future value of that money is, is right. really interesting. I think if you're, if, if you're interested in this at all, um, a post worth reading is called The Shockingly Simple Math Behind Early Retirement, mm-hmm. which is where he gives what I think is sort of the best table slash graph in this discussion, yep. which is if your savings rate is X, here is how many years you will need to work before you can retire. Right. And the difference between something like, 25, like 20% and 25% is like six years. And so it's like, okay, so like, yes, it is. There's a bit of sacrifice that you need to do to add an additional 5% to your savings rate. But like, is it worth retiring six years earlier? Uh, and th- the numbers are a little bit shocking. Yeah. I think motivational too. It's, uh, it's also interesting to see that they've been retired now for uh, some five, 10 years. Um, and they've gotten to spend a lot of meaningful time with, with their son, raising him and kind of living the life that they want. But they, he often gets called out for not actually being retired. Right. Because he'll do things like go build a house. Uh, but his stance is like, I'm definitely doing this because I want to. I do not need the money. Right. This is what I'm doing because I choose to. And the value is that freedom, the freedom to decide that that's the thing that you want to do. Exactly. Uh, and it's been interesting being here at ThoughtBot because a lot of, I think, that sort of writing is in reaction to uh, not great working conditions, places where you're really being dragged through the mud, where there's not such a thing as a sustainable pace. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting. This is a topic that I'm really interested in. But at the same time, this is kind of a delightful way to work, I've found. Uh, and mm-hmm. I could probably do this for a long time, especially uh, one of the things that it's made me do is think like, okay, if I'm eventually financially independent and I can do whatever the heck I want, what would I do? Mm-hmm. Okay, now, why am I not doing that now? Sure. Do I have a good enough excuse for not, say, taking off a month or three months and going on a walkabout? Uh, you particularly represent this pretty well, I think. But yeah. just making sure you're kind of thinking through the rules and if they're true and like, I don't feel great at the end of the day. Do I have to count the minutes till five? No, I think I did okay today, or I'm not going to do any better, and it's probably time to go home. Mm-hmm. Um, and having a culture that supports that kind of thing makes work actually much less quote-unquote work and more just, this is the thing I'm doing. Yeah. The thing that hammers home to me how good I have it, I guess, is that like when I think about this fi- like financial independence, like what would I do if I didn't need any income? I think I would just keep coming to work here. Yeah. <laughs> like, I would need something to do. I know right. I would go insane with that. Like, I, I would not be a good early retirement person where it's like, now, leisure. Right. And just like that would just, I would be a mess. Even yep. with the walkabout. Like, when I didn't, I had weeks where I didn't have stuff planned. It was right. just like, I'm in my apartment and no one can do anything and I want to die a little bit. Yeah. So that to me was like the best sign. I was like, okay, let's let's say like it just like you could snap your fingers and didn't need income anymore. I was like, I think I would just I would want to go to an office with smart people and do interesting work and like do some programming and some business stuff. And like, wait a second, I kind of have exactly that right now. Yeah, absolutely. And it, so it, that's pretty lucky. It's very lucky. It's, darn lucky. Uh, it's been even very interesting seeing Chad's recent transition. Chad had been working on Upcase mm-hmm. uh, for Chad, an extended our, our CEO. Yes, uh, had been working on Upcase for an extended period. And then decided, like, I think I've done this for a while, and I think we've got a lot of other growth stuff happening within the company. I'm going to take a step back and decide on a new job. What's my new job? I'm going to focus on these things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he's been able to do that consistently throughout his career here. And, uh, I mean, for me, I'm incredibly grateful that Chad's built the sort of company that he has, and I get to work here. That's awesome. But his stance, as far as I have heard it, the many times he said it is, uh, I just want to build the company that I would want to work at. And mm-hmm. it seems like that has continued to be true for him and his ability to find the work that he wants within it. And I think you've definitely done that as well. Uh, and even for me, I've kind of moved between a number of different types of work. And I've always felt, at a minimum, the freedom to express a preference between those. Like, you know what? I, I really like the small startups. That's the thing that really gets me going. 
So I'd like to only work on those. And I don't need to leave ThoughtBot to go find that somewhere else. I've got that available to me at ThoughtBot. And especially I've got that. Plus, if I get bored of that, I can just go do something else. Uh, and I mean, obviously, it's not complete freedom, but knowing that that kind of variety is available. And personally, in the two-ish years that I've been here, having experienced a lot of it uh, is pretty awesome. And it's it's given me kind of a lot of energy and enthusiasm to keep coming back day after day, even when the work gets a little bit, you know, more dragging your feet. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, in that case, I think maybe we should just wrap it up. That's a good place to call it a day. Sounds good. Well, thanks for having me on, Ben. It's Absolutely. Been, uh, it's been great. Yeah. it's a pl- you, How many of the podcasts have you listened to? Uh, you guess? How many are there? 149. Uh, I'm a couple weeks back, so like 130. There you go. And now you're a, you're a guest. Is it weird being on the other end of the microphone? Okay. Uh, I mean, it's weird because this doesn't feel like giant robots. This is just a room, and it's you and I chatting. Which Isn't we that do the a weird lot. thing? It is, but at some point, this will come into my iPhone, and I will be able to listen to it on my walk to work, and then it will be very weird. I'm yeah. excited for that day. Someone asked me if I got nervous when I was recording podcasts, and I was like, not really, because it really just feels like you're sitting with a person and talking to them. And I don't know. It doesn't connect with me in a visceral level where it's like, there are 5,000 people listening to this conversation. Is it 5,000? It's about that, yeah. Oh, God. It's roughly the down nervous. Numbers. Yeah. So I'm glad I told you afterwards. Then. Absolutely. Yeah. Today's show was produced and edited by Tom Obarski. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to giantrobots.fm slash 149. Thanks for listening.